Hello, and welcome to Decarbonize, the clean energy podcast from Fresh Energy. Fresh Energy is a Minnesota nonprofit working to speed our state's transition to a clean energy economy. My name is Joe Olson. I do communications here at Fresh Energy, and I'm here today to share with you a recording of our April 9th, 2021 webinar with U.S. Senator Tina Smith about the opportunity that we have to pass urgently needed and meaningful climate legislation in Congress and how it can deliver clean energy jobs and economic opportunity for Minnesota all while getting us on the path to 100% clean electricity by 2035. Tina was joined on the panel by meteorologist and climate leader Paul Douglas, Allison Brown, president and CEO at the Science Museum of Minnesota, and Fresh Energy's very own Jay Drake Hamilton, Science Director of Science Policy, as well as Ben Passer, Lead Director of Energy Access and Equity. The event was co-hosted by the Science Museum of Minnesota with partners at SEAM, Layuna, and the 100% Campaign. With that, I will begin the recording. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, everyone. On behalf of Fresh Energy and the Science Museum of Minnesota, welcome to today's webinar and panel discussion. We're pleased to have so many people in the virtual room today for a conversation about why acting now on climate is critical and how climate action can also build major economic opportunity in Minnesota. My name is Jay Drake Hamilton. I'm the Senior Director of Science Policy at Fresh Energy. We are a clean energy nonprofit in Minnesota working to shape and drive bold policy solutions to achieve equitable carbon neutral economies that benefit all. I'm so very honored to be joined today by Minnesota US Senator Tina Smith meteorologist and climate leader, Paul Douglas, my colleague, Ben Passer, lead director of Fresh Energy's energy access and equity team, and Allison Brown, president and CEO of the Science Museum of Minnesota. Before we dive in, I want to do a bit of housekeeping. If you have any questions for our panelists during the event, and I hope you do, please submit them using the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. The last 20 minutes of our event are dedicated to answering your questions. I also want to take a moment to say thank you to our promotional partners for today's webinar who helped us spread the word about this event. Thank you to Clean Energy Economy Minnesota, to the 100% Campaign, and to Layuna. First, I'm going to introduce President Allison Brown, who has made the Science Museum of Minnesota into a nationally recognized institution for its leadership on addressing climate change. The Science Museum has created opportunities to achieve vital economic, employment, equity, education, 
and environmental benefits. And now, Allison, I'm going to turn off my mic and welcome Allison Burr. Thank you, Jay. And I admire your many years of really invaluable work on climate change, and I've learned so much uh, from you. And I appreciate everyone taking time this morning to be here at this webinar about the importance of our Congress passing needed, meaningful climate legislation. Addressing human-caused climate change is a top priority for the Science Museum of Minnesota. Now, nine years ago, the museum took a leadership position in the museum community. We adopted a climate statement, a, a statement about climate change, and that actually was approved by a board. Just two weeks ago, the museum's board of trustees approved an updated action-oriented statement. And this new statement begins with, human-caused climate change is real. It is urgent and it is solvable through courageous action informed by science. And I just want to highlight a few of the climate change actions that the museum accomplished in recent years. The museum's advanced heat recovery system slashed annual hot water heating costs by 65% and reduced our carbon emissions by one third. And through energy efficient initiatives, the museum's annual electricity use declined for 11 years in a row. From a peak of 12 million pounds over the past seven years, the museum's carbon emissions have dropped 65%. That's 65% over the past seven years. And they will plummet further because the museum recently signed a subscription agreement with Excel's Energy's wind source program for 100% carbon-free renewable electricity. We're so proud to partner with Excel Energy. And while the museum's accomplished much in recent years, we're not done. We'll do much more in the coming years. And I remember having conversations with Senator Smith when I arrived in Minnesota almost five years ago. We talked about how we can use our exhibitions, education programs, research and collections, leadership policies and practices. The Science Museum of Minnesota commits to being a resource on climate change and a hub for climate action. We will amplify collective solutions that will help ease the climate crisis impacts, enable all of us to imagine design and most importantly, realize a better future. The Science Museum's new climate change statement concludes with, at the Science Museum of Minnesota, we commit to climate action. Please join us in taking action. Together, we will create the change we want to see and we must see. So Jay, I now turn the floor back to you to introduce this morning's keynote guests. Thank you so much, Allison Brown and everyone at the Science Museum of Minnesota for stating those astounding carbon emissions drops. I have the pleasure of introducing Paul Douglas in a way I've never heard anyone else introduce before. Paul Douglas is a meteorologist with a 40 year entrepreneurial career. When he was still 14 years old, his Pennsylvania hometown was flooded by a devastating tropical storm. The young Paul developed a network of flood gauges to monitor flash flood situations to help people. Fast forward to now, he's regularly on national broadcast television and you hear him every weekday for three hours on WCCO radio 
teamed with the fabulous Jordana Green. Every month, he appears on TPT's Almanac program. Paul has pioneered three-dimensional computer weather graphics that actually help people. He began a daily weather column in the Star Tribune newspaper, where I daily read his forecasts. He is the author of numerous dictionary books. Most recently, he co-founded Eris Weather. I think he will also become your favorite entrepreneur as he is a gem for Minnesota. And I'm now silenting my mute, my mic, Paul, and we're... Thank you, Jay. Thank you for that uh, introduction. And taking me back to the age of 14 and good morning, everybody. I'm just happy it's not snowing. Right now, I'm grateful for the small things. Forgive the disco ball in the background. It's one of my uh, many pandemic coping skills, but I, I appreciate that invitation, Jay. And, and thank you to all my friends at Fresh Energy who are getting precious little sleep these days. I think that's a good thing. And the Science Museum, Allison, thank you for setting a very high bar, working hard to reduce carbon in your daily operations. I also want to thank Senator Tina Smith for her work, her pioneering work on a clean electricity standard. She started drafting this back in 2019. 100% carbon-free electricity by 2035. She'll be talking about that effort coming up next. The timing has never been better to go from talk to action. I've been talking publicly, sometimes at my peril, about climate change since the late 90s. The symptoms have been showing up on my weather maps with alarming frequency. The extremes are now trending more extreme. Minnesota has experienced 23 separate billion-dollar weather events just since 2000. Homeowner insurance premiums have tripled in just the last 15 years. This is the tip of the iceberg, a rapidly melting iceberg, it turns out. Just yesterday, NOAA reported that carbon levels in the atmosphere are now higher than they've been in 3.6 million years, when, by the way, sea levels were 78 feet higher. We should probably pay attention to the scientists who tell us we've gone from climate theory to climate reality. It's getting harder to deny the symptoms. It's happening right now. Climate scientists tracking these changes around our state and around the world are telling us we need to take steps to become more climate resilient, to avoid feedback loops and worst case scenarios. The planet is warming, it's us, there are solutions. And my take, we should be debating solutions, not science itself. The world more than ever is looking to the U.S for climate leadership, big ideas and bold measures to address what may in fact be the biggest existential threat our species and every other species has ever faced. Here's the thing, we have the technology, we have the experts, we just need to go faster. America has engineers and skilled workers who can help to turn the tide. What's been lacking is the will. In his new book, how to Avoid a Climate Disaster, Microsoft founder Bill Gates talked about the need to turn down the dial on fossil fuels 
and the 51 billion tons of greenhouse gas released into the atmosphere every year. We need to get to zero carbon emissions and get serious about removing carbon from the air. I hear this a lot. Paul, we can't do this. It's too expensive. What about the deficit? Look, if we continue to debate science and do nothing, sit on our hands, today's deficits will be a rounding error compared to what's coming. As Jay mentioned, I'm a markets guy. I'm on my seventh weathered tech business. I believe in the power of markets to innovate and reinvent. And right now we need to reinvent almost everything. Again, my take, government isn't the enemy of innovation and reinvention. It's happened before. The race to the moon required teamwork. Private companies and government funding working together toward a common goal. Americans walking on the moon. Silicon Valley in California was a sleepy little apricot orchard until our Defense Department funded a company called Fairchild Semiconductor, which led to Intel and all those fancy little microchips that now power our phones, our TVs, our cars, everything. In recent years, it seems America has lost the will to do big things. We nibble around the edges. Addressing climate change is the biggest challenge we've ever faced. We need to move faster, electrifying everything, transportation, utilities, the grid, bringing clean energy from wind and solar to population centers. We need to get to zero carbon as quickly as possible. This is America's moonshot for the 21st century, and the rest of the world is watching to see what we do. My 90-year-old dad, a German immigrant and Reagan Republican, raised me to believe that conservatism should apply to everything. Conservatives conserve. He also said, we have rights and we have responsibilities. We love to dwell on our rights. Responsibilities, sometimes it's crickets. Actions have consequences. He would also say that. Imagine that. Actions have consequences. Climate change has become a political football, an ideological purity test, which is ridiculous because we should not be debating reality. Acknowledging reality is just common sense. Whether it's a pandemic or a climate virus, when we ignore scientists, bad things result. One thing will always unite Minnesotans. We love our kids and our grandkids. Today, I'm speaking on behalf of my one-year-old grandson, Jordan, who wasn't able to join the Zoom call this morning. By doing nothing, by kicking the can down the road and making excuses, we are making it harder on the people we love the most to enjoy the same American dream we did growing up. Every threat is an opportunity. I really believe that. There's a smarter, more sustainable way forward. We can have everything we want, everything we need, and turn down the dial on future warming, baking climate resilience into everything we do. So Minnesota and, and America, and the planet thrives, no matter what an irritable mother nature throws at us. Change is inevitable. What worked in the 1970s won't work in the 2030s. The timing, more than ever, is right for bold innovation from the markets, yes, and big ideas, sound policy, bold leadership at a local, state, and federal level. I welcome, I welcome everything that is happening right now.
big, bold ideas from the left and from the right. A clean, sustainable city on a hill with more jobs, more prosperity for everyone. Because at the end of the day, the atmosphere doesn't care about our politics. It only responds to physics and greenhouse gas. Senator Tina Smith understands that our nation, in fact, the entire planet, needs to get to zero carbon as quickly as possible. Because doing nothing, doing nothing, is no longer a viable option. Thank you. Thank you for your spot on remarks, Paul Douglas. We know that the US Congress needs to step up for a once in a lifetime chance to pass meaningful climate and infrastructure legislation. We have not seen a national infrastructure investment on this scale for decades. President Biden's American Job Plan signals that the United States is open for business and has rejoined the global stage to make advancements in clean energy and equitable decarbonization. Senator Tina Smith is a fierce advocate for Minnesota to create economic opportunities. She well understands that clean electricity isn't just smart environmental policy, it is smart economic policy. This morning, you'll find out why Senator Smith champions a technology neutral clean electricity standard to aggressively reduce carbon emissions from the power sector. We need to rapidly develop and scale up a broad array of um, climate neutral zero carbon technologies. The country can drive a rapid cost-effective transition while also putting the US at the forefront of technical innovation. Senator Smith on CNN this week said, history is littered with stories of countries and states and communities that failed to see where we are going and got stuck and where we were. There's a fundamental reality about a clean energy future, which is that it's going to happen. And the United States and states individually can either lead or can follow. Senator Smith's clean electricity standard is a transformational proposal that could be the single most important climate policy of the Biden era. Hear now from Senator Tina Smith, details on how the nation's climate and infrastructure plans can deliver good paying, clean energy jobs and provide a path to 100% clean electricity by 2035. I'm turning off my mic now. Welcome, Senator Tina Smith. Well, uh, Jay, it's so wonderful to see you virtually. And I wanna first thank Fresh Energy and Jay and Ben uh, for serving as our moderator and all of you for joining us, uh, Paul and me and all of us on this virtual stage. Um, this is actually the second time, Paul, that you and I have done this kind of thing. And I always love to be with you as I'm looking at you on my Zoom screen. 
Um, and I particularly appreciate the disco ball. I would expect nothing less of you to bring a little panache to, <laughs> to, to your Zoom background. Um, I want to also thank Fresh Energy and the Science Museum for hosting us today. Um, this originally was intended to happen, I think, a year ago before COVID struck. So it is great to be doing it now, and I hope that we'll soon be able to gather again in person. And uh, thanks also to Clean Energy Economy Minnesota and LIUNA and the 100% campaign for partnering with Fresh Energy uh, to get the word out about this event. So this is how I see this. Uh, the climate crisis is a massive threat to our economy, to our security, to our health, and to our well-being. And it's a huge challenge. The question is, how are we going to respond? Um, we can ignore it and hope that it goes away, but it's not going to go away. What we need to do is to get to net zero carbon emissions as quickly as we possibly can. And we can meet this challenge in ways that provide cheaper energy, improves our health, moves us to energy independence, and creates jobs and opportunity and more fairness and equity um, in our society. You know, too often the conversations about climate change are focused on gloom and doom and sacrifice. And honestly, the problems then seem almost too big to solve. Um, but this is just wrong and this kind of thinking is getting us nowhere. Uh, what we have to wrap our minds around is that a transition to a clean energy future is going to happen. And the only question is whether we choose to lead this transition or whether we end up following in this transition. And if we lead, we can lift up American workers and working families. Uh, we can build back America's industrial sector, manufacturing sector, cleaner and stronger and, and more competitive. Uh, we can reduce emissions in the energy sector um, and, and in the process create millions of new good paying jobs. And we can do this by rapidly deploying the technologies that we have available to us right now by linking and, and linking the wind and solar expanses in rural America to energy hungry big cities. Um, the fact is that this transition to a clean energy economy can drive our economy forward. And Paul, I wanna say, always touches on this in ways that I think are so important, which is that we have a moral imperative to respond to climate change as quickly and as strategically as we possibly can. Uh, climate change is threatening economic dislocation that are hurting families and our communities. And Minnesotans, as Paul already has said, can already see this um, impact. You don't need to tell a farmer in Minnesota about the impact of climate change when they see flooded out fields, they see changing growing patterns, and they see and experience the costs of, of uh, weather extremes, new pests, all of the things that are happening because of climate change. Um, we are seeing rising water levels and erosion on Minnesota lakes, which is affecting home values. We're seeing impacts on our forests and our timber sector and also um, in our um, recreational economy. So the impacts are there for us all to see. Um, here's the reality is we know though, if we adapt to this, if we address this, as I wanna talk about with the clean electricity standard, um, we can be healthier, we can have cleaner air, we can have cleaner water, and we can especially help those that have been most impacted, most harmed by the pollution um, in a, uh, that is uh, rife in a fossil fuel economy. Now, the last time we had a serious discussion about climate in Washington, D.C. was over 10 years ago. 
Um, and in, since that time, states across the board have taken um, strong action, including Minnesota has taken strong action to reduce emissions. And so now with a new majority in the United States Senate, I think the time is ripe for us to be able to take real um, steps forward, bold and I hope transformational um, steps forward. So how do we get there? How do we make this transition? I believe that a clean electricity standard is a powerful tool for moving us forward and getting us to net zero carbon emissions in the electricity sector as soon as we can, but no later by the middle of this century. Uh, last, uh, actually it was in 2019, I introduced the Clean Electricity Standard Bill with Representative uh, Ben Ray Lujan from New Mexico, now Senator Lujan from New Mexico. Um, why is this such a powerful tool? Well, we start from the place that the electricity sector is about 27% of all carbon emissions. So that's powerful. But by focusing on the electricity sector, we can also do the heavy lifting in other parts of our economy, like transportation, like um, building heating, um, and also manufacturing. You know, when we electrify our cars, we are using clean energy to reduce emissions. When we electrify um, heating and um, water cooling or water heating, we are uh, using a clean electricity standard. So when I introduced the clean electricity standard in 2019, um, I knew that this was gonna be an important step forward. And I wanted to put together something that had started out um, as a bipartisan proposal, something that could get, uh, get support um, across, the, across the range. I was very excited to see uh, President Biden, first candidate Biden, um, begin talking about the a federal clean electricity standard um, as well. And of course, that has been a centerpiece of his infrastructure American jobs plan, which he unveiled um, just recently. I also want to point out that here in Minnesota, Governor Walls has put a state level clean electricity standard in place at the heart of his climate strategy. And in fact, we're seeing this happening all over the country. One in three Americans live in a city or a state that is committed to 100% clean electricity. So a national uh, CES would build on this effort. Minnesota's big utilities are, are also committed to a clean electricity standard um, and to a net zero emission goal. So this is an approach that can attract uh, support from so many parts of our economy. So let me just say a little bit about how this would work. What we do with a clean electricity standard is that we set a standard for utilities to move to net zero carbon emissions um, at a quick but realistic pace. We set a clear target and then we say to the utilities, you figure out what technologies is going to be most effective for getting where you wanna to get to. Now this is not a tax. It does not impose big costs on utilities um, and that costs that frequently just get passed on to consumers. So in fact, this clean transition uh, by utilities can result in lower costs for consumers as renewable energy costs are being driven down and down and down. Um, this is not a one size fits all approach. It says to utilities, you decide what are the best strategies in your region, given the resources that you have uh, for moving to a net zero emissions. And you also start from where you are. You don't get held to a standard that maybe makes sense in Minnesota if you are in West Virginia, for example. Um, it is technology neutral. Everybody can decide uh, whether it is wind or solar or CCS or whether geothermal is a strategy or nuclear, as long as you are reducing carbon emissions 
and getting to that goal and getting to that standard, um, you're on the right path. And the other thing that is so great about this is that I believe that we can pass it. This is an approach that has the support of labor unions, of environmental organizations, um, and of utilities. And as I said, it has a history of bipartisan support in the United States Senate. In fact, Lindsey Graham introduced a clean electricity standard, a clean energy standard, um, back um, about 10 years ago. So as we emerge from the COVID crisis and we restart our economy, I believe that we have such an opportunity to build forward and the clean electricity standard is a big part of that strategy. President Biden has laid out um, um, in his American Jobs Plan how we, we could do this. And I wanna just note a couple of things before I wrap up. The clean electricity standard working in concert with significant investment, as Paul said, in research and development, in battery storage, in upgrading our electric grid so it is more resilient, um, in making other improvements to our infrastructure, as President Biden is suggesting, has a real opportunity to, to be the bold and transformational change and leadership change, competitiveness change that we need um, in this country. Uh, all told, I believe that it is a strategy that really can work. So the question as I close is this, are we going to lead on a clean, a clean energy future or will we follow? And when we lead, we can put our country, our jobs, our workers on the forefront of this future. It requires innovation, it requires discipline, it requires strength, but at the end of the day, we can be in the lead if we take this approach. I'm really grateful to all of you for participating in this uh, webinar and for being a part of this conversation. And I look forward to the discussion that we're gonna have ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you, Senator Smith. Onward to you and all of us in the United States to move forward. I'm going to turn the mic over to my colleague, Ben Passer, who's going to moderate the Q&A portion of today's event. Take it away, Ben. Thank you, Jay, and thanks so much, Senator Smith, Paul Douglas, and Allison Brown for your remarks. This is such an exciting and important opportunity for Minnesota and for the United States. I would love to uh, dig in deeper this morning, and I know our audience has questions they would like to ask as well. I'll take this moment to remind folks to please drop your questions into the Q&A function on Zoom, and we will do our best to cover your questions in the time that we have remaining this morning. And with that, uh, let's move to questions. Um, Senator Smith, I'm gonna uh, direct this first question to you. Um, you mentioned how and why a clean electricity standard is an important step forward, but some folks may have been surprised to see the inclusion of a clean electricity standard in President Biden's American Jobs Plan. Can you talk a bit more about why this perhaps shouldn't have been a, a surprise at all? Why is our electric grid the bedrock of this huge proposal? Well, there, it's really important to start from the place, I think, that the um, electricity sector contributes almost 30% of the greenhouse gas emissions. So it is a powerful place to start. In addition, because we, are, we have the capacity to electrify other sector, sectors of our economy like transportation or uh, buildings um, and heating, which are also large contributors to greenhouse gas emissions, by focusing on the electricity sector, we're able to get residual benefits uh, in those other sectors as well. So it makes total sense to me that President Biden and Vice President Harris would include this in their infrastructure plan. Uh, they also, I think, as, as do I, really appreciate that if we do this 
correctly and smartly, this is really all about jobs and all about expanding opportunity. And those things come together, I think, in the infrastructure plan that is um, has the potential to be so transformational. And Senator Smith, you mentioned uh, jobs, and I'd, I'd love to drill into that more specifically. Um, we know that before the COVID-19 pandemic, clean energy jobs in Minnesota were growing over two times faster than overall job growth in the state. And of course, that rate, like so many other parts of our economy, has slowed down considerably. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about how the investments being put forth in this proposed federal climate and infrastructure package, a clean electricity standard, increasing the domestic clean energy supply chain, expanding high voltage power lines, and so much more, um, how all of that would help us get back on track? Yeah. Well, Ben, as you say, after the last recession, we saw um, how investments in clean energy jobs is a really, and clean energy is a really potent a strategy for creating jobs. And um, I'd like to just point out, especially here in the upper Midwest where we have so much strength in wind and solar, you can really see those benefits um, every day um, in our community. If we think strategically about this and we expand that domestic supply chain so that we are building these, um, you know, uh, the components for wind turbines and solar panels here in the United States, that's another opportunity to create more jobs here. That's not going to just happen. That has to become part of our overall strategy, and we can make it work if we work together on it and we focus on achieving that. Um, and I also think it's important to remember that we need to make sure that these clean energy jobs are good jobs, that they are family sustaining jobs. That, uh, and, and as I have worked on these policies at the federal level, um, I've worked hard to make sure that that is the case. So that as we think about some folks that might be transitioning from one career to another, or possibly even in some parts of the country, transitioning from a fossil fuel related job to a clean energy job, that they're not also experiencing a, um, a net loss of income because these clean energy jobs have to be um, have to be strong. Thank you, Senator Smith. And looking at uh, our Q&A so far, and again, I would just encourage folks to drop any questions in the Q&A uh, as, as the uh, conversation moves along. Um, there's a lot of, uh, I, I think, interest in uh, skeptics, uh, skeptics of um, a clean electricity standard of, of this um, potentially transformative proposal. And Senator Smith, I know when, when you announced your clean electricity standard legislation to achieve net zero emissions in 2019, um, some skeptics said it was unnecessary, um, including some of your colleagues in the Senate, um, that, that the market will take us to where we need to go. And um, I'm, I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about your rationale for a clean electricity standard and why you believe market forces alone won't reach the desired outcomes. And I'll, I'll paraphrase a related question from uh, Raymond, Joseph, Rolf, and I think others in, in the Q&A here, um, who ask, how do we move those colleagues in the Senate who you'll need to get this done? Yeah. Well, first, I think that you raise a really interesting point about whether a clean electricity standard is necessary. And here's what I think it's important to realize about this. Um, market forces are already pushing us towards a clean um, energy, a clean electricity sector. Uh, costs for generating uh, wind and solar are going down. Consumers are pushing markets and utilities towards clean electricity um, sources and um, utilities, as I said, um, are um, wanting to move in that direction because that's what their investors and that's what their um, consumers want. 
But if you look at this, and I've seen some modeling to show this, uh, the, the, the curve is going down, but it is not going down fast enough. And we need additional really market incentives in order to get us where we need to get soon enough. Without a clean electricity standard, that transition does not happen rapidly enough. I think it's interesting also to note that, you know, in this system where there's a lot of inertia, there's also massive amounts of investment that happen in the electricity sector every year. And those investors are looking for market signals about where they should put their resources, how they should allocate capital. And what I hear from uh, the, the business side of this, I'd be interested to know what Paul thinks about this. Um, they're looking for clear market signals about how to make long-term capital allocation decisions. And that's what the clean electricity standard does as well. So the answer is yes, we have to get there. The market is going in that direction, but not fast enough. And that's why we need to send clear, uh, clear signals through the, um, elect, through the um, um, CES. Question of how we get um, my colleagues to join in this effort is a really great question. And I won't promise to have all of the answers here, but what I would say is that every single one of my colleagues represents their state in ways that is about creating opportunity in their states. So a couple things to think about. You look at the top 20 congressional districts, Republican congressional districts, those districts are have huge untapped renewable energy resources. So what we need to do is to help to focus on what the opportunity is for this transition and not only on not, not just on the potential sacrifice that is going to be experienced um, by the by the transition focus on where the opportunity is. The second thing I think is really important I think about my colleague Joe Manchin, who was a fierce fighter for West Virginia, he needs to understand that this clean electricity transition this. Uh, this clean energy transition more broadly is not going to leave his state high and dry it's going to be the opportunities are going to happen in his state and that's one of the reasons why it's so important that the CES is part of this broader infrastructure package that can include investments that will be of huge benefit to states like West Virginia and other states where folks are you know le elected leaders and families are trying to figure out how is this going to help me and my family in the long run Thank you, Senator Smith. And building on that, uh, Paul, I'd love to turn to you. Um, Senator Smith was talking about uh, market signals and uh, just from your role as a longtime entrepreneur, as, as Jay mentioned, um, would love to hear uh, your thoughts on that. And also more broadly, um, from your experience working in weather and climate, um, just your thoughts on the urgency of this issue and what excites you um, about this federal proposal. Well, thank you, Ben. And, and thank you, Senator Smith. And thank you for, for some great questions. Um, my experience in the markets is that if you're doing the same thing you were doing 30 years ago, there's a good chance you're not going to be in, in business. You, you reimagine your business, you reinvent, or you fade away. And when I mentioned in my rambling preamble about what worked in the 70s won't work in the 2030s, I, I think, I hope there's some truth to that. Every industry gets disrupted over time. You have to reinvent your business model all over again. And I understand innately human beings are resistant to change. I was a little skeptical about clean energy until I started driving an electric car back in 2015. And now it's part of my DNA. I've had two electric vehicles. Um, 
there's virtually no maintenance. Every year they say, yeah, Paul, you can bring the car in. We'll look at it. We'll admire your car for you. We'll uh, rotate the tires. There's 150 moving parts on my electric vehicle. Typical gas-powered vehicle, 10,000 moving parts. There's just less that can break. So I am driving for less money. And my wife is thrilled. Our electric rates have not skyrocketed. In fact, we haven't noticed any significant increase. Uh, we charge up late at night when the electricity rates go down. And I think at, at the end of the day, uh, this is about performance and cost. What I've discovered is that in business, people tend to change their habits when they can get more performance for less cost. If you can drive farther, drive cheaper, and save money, that's when the proverbial light bulb goes on over people's heads. And in terms of inflection points for business, Ben, you alluded to this, and, and I think it's true. The business world wants certainty. They want to know where they can safely allocate resources and capital where they might, in fact, get a return on investment. I find it interesting that even many of the fossil fuel companies today want certainty. Some of them are actually arguing for a tax on carbon, which gives them certainty going forward in terms of how they need to pivot in a world that is consuming less carbon fuel. So, you know, change is hard, change is challenging. The only other thing that goes through my mind listening to Senator Smith talk is this needs to be fair and equi equitable um, so that people in greater Minnesota, rural areas, greater parts of, of the United States away from city centers don't feel like they are being penalized. Uh, how do we thread the needle and make this inevitable transition to clean energy fair and equitable and accessible, whether you live in Montevideo or whether you live in Maple Grove. I think that's one of the challenges that I see. Uh, it will be surmounted. I know we can address that, but I think it needs to be fair and equitable so everybody can participate. Everybody gets more performance for less cost. And uh, that's where we're going. We just need to turn up the dial and move faster. And the markets have a huge role in this. Nobody innovates like the United States. We've proven that over and over again. There's already a big signal in the market. And I think effective government at a local, state, national level can turn the dial up on that signal because we need to go faster. We don't have another 10, 15, 20 years to kick the can down the road. We need to start bringing CO2 levels down uh, yesterday. So at the end of the day, I'm cautiously optimistic. We are moving in the right direction. Finally, we just need to move faster.
Thank you, Paul. Uh, a number of great points, I think, in, in uh, your remarks there um, that I'd love to, to build upon. I, I'll maybe start with that last one around needing to move faster. Um, and I think this was a common thread in, in your remarks, Paul, as well as Senator Smith, Jay, and Allison. Um, so with this next question, I would love to turn to Jay. Um, Jay, you have been a, a phenomenal um, leader on climate and energy policy here in Minnesota for a number of years. And I know you've had a front row seat to uh, international and global discussions around um, the need to move uh, quickly on addressing the uh, climate crisis. Um, so I would love to talk to you about the Paris Agreement. And um, I'm just curious, uh, you know, I think there was a lot of fanfare when President Biden um, recommitted the United States to the Paris Agreement. Um, what is the overlap between the Paris Agreement and a clean electricity standard? And what does the clean electricity standard, or for that matter, the American Jobs Plan do uh, that the Paris Agreement doesn't? Thank you, Ben. Yes, there's a lot of work we need to do. And President Biden is well aware of this. He needs to build the credibility with the rest of the world. That, that's why he's invited, I believe, 17 countries to Washington, D.C. on April 22nd and 23rd. And they are representing 80% of the emissions on the globe. And he needs to present to these countries the U.S.'s plan to get to at least 45% emissions reductions by 2030. And he needs to know that we also need a plan to get to zero carbon by no later than the mid-century. But what he knows is that all of those other countries are thinking about how we're going to do that in the United States in an irreversible way. So this can only happen through executive orders. We are a nation of policies and laws. So the rest of the world very well knows we need to get busy putting into place more of what we have already in 16 states, which we have, um, they have already embraced and passed 100% carbon-free or clean energy standards. And we hope that the next state to do that will be Minnesota. But um, we're gonna need to pass more policies at the local level, especially at the state level and at the congressional level. So we're looking at the big lever here, which is the US Congress availability and their moral suasion to make this work. And I hope we'll all be working closely together with many leaders at many levels because we need to make this irreversible moving toward net zero emissions. I'm going to be in Glasgow in November for the Conference of the Parties to the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. And I'll be directly reporting back to all of you here in Minnesota. But what I'm thrilled about is the US has in place a United States Climate Alliance. And our attention has been called to this US Climate Alliance, which has been around now for several years and has been pointed to over and over again by Gina McCarthy and by John Kerry, who are the two people 
appointed by President Biden to lead respectively at the domestic level and at the international level. And we need to see more change happen much faster. Thank you, Jay. That's very well said and, and appreciate your, your insights there. Um, I, I want to um, jump back to uh, the topics of fairness and equity. Um, of course, as lead director of energy access and equity at Fresh Energy, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart and uh, is a, a core part of our uh, mission and imperatives at Fresh Energy. Um, this was something that uh, all of the panelists have, have, have touched on, and I would love to uh, dig in a little bit deeper. Um, maybe starting with you, Senator Smith, um, I'd, I'd love to hear more about how uh, this federal proposal would help communities that have suffered um, from the impacts of power sector and industrial pollution. Um, and then on the other side of the coin, um, how can we ensure that this helps communities that are uh, potentially dealing with the decline of the fossil fuel economy? And, um, you know, I think to incorporate some uh, questions from Jean uh, and Lucas, how can we also ensure that there's uh, the creation of those uh, family supporting uh, good paying jobs that you talked about? Right. Well, thank you, Ben. Um, you know, I think I start from the core value that, let me try off mute here, I start from the core value that everybody should have the right to live in a place where they are going to be healthy, where they can be healthy. And there is just no question that uh, poor communities and communities of color have been disproportionately impacted by the pollution from uh, big freeways that have cut through and in some cases completely decimated their neighborhoods, not to mention where, um, as you say, um, large industrial and often polluting um, sectors are located in communities where you are, you know, where, where we have more poor people and more people of color. And then what happens, uh, the impacts of those of that air and often water pollution is seen in much, much worse health outcomes. So the opportunity here is to address that um, explicitly um, in as we move towards a clean energy future. I think it's really terrific that President Biden and Vice President Harris have brought Minnesota's Cecilia Martinez to the White House to focus specifically on environmental justice issues, on fairness and equity issues. And as you look at the uh, president's jobs plan, you can see that baked into um, all aspects of the uh, jobs proposals that he puts out, not only clean energy, but also you know, everything else that he's doing. And the power that this has to affect um, bad health outcomes in, in addition to um, shaping more opportunity for families is just really, really great. You know, there's um, experts tell us that 100% clean electricity standard um, will save over 100,000 lives and reduce um, things like asthma and other respiratory diseases dramatically. So clearly there's a link between um, equity and, um, and a clean energy future. The other point is really important also, which is that this transition to a clean energy future cannot mean that those jobs that are created are less jobs, pay less well, have less protections than jobs that are in the um, old fossil fuel economy. In the 2020 Energy Act, I'm very proud that I fought hard to make sure that the jobs created um, in the energy, in the clean energy sector, supported by the proposals that we included in that bill, uh, were jobs that also had labor standards protections um, in that package. We have to continue to fight for that. 
um, this is the, I think, a key way that we also can build support for this transition amongst communities that have been working uh, and you know working hard and pr doing the work that means that when we flip on the light switch in our houses, no matter where you live in this country, that the power goes on. Uh, those folks that made sure that that happened can't be an afterthought in our strategy. They have to be in the forefront of our thinking about how this transition can be equitable and fair for them too. And you know, Paul talked about this a little bit too. There's an issue of geographic equity and opportunity that we need to be looking at as we think about how we make this transition fair. It has to be, there's a, there's a kind of a place-based approach to this. Um, where the new opportunities in the clean energy uh, future are, are located matters a lot. Thank you, Senator Smith. Um, and just to stay on the topic of, of equity and, and fairness, um, Allison, I would love to turn to you um, from your perspective as president of the Science Museum of Minnesota. Um, you mentioned in your remarks, and I've been uh, fortunate to hear you speak before, on the importance of equity and climate change and really you know, grounded in science education. And I would just love to hear from you um, how the museum views those intersections between equity and climate change and how that shows up in how you're working to educate and inform communities. Thank you, Ben, for that question. And uh, it's an important question. We do, do, we do think about both of those issues, um, equity and climate change. And we have foundational statements that have been approved by our board. They're on our website. Uh, if you come visit the museum, uh, they're on our museum floor and they, they inform the work that we do. So the Science Museum's Division of Science, Equity and Education actually helped drive the development and adoption of those statements and the approval by our board. And the, our, our statement of equity and inclusion was approved in 2018. And the, you just heard me talk recently, we updated our statement of climate change. And our, one of the phrases in our statement of, of our climate change is uh, that we look to improve lives by embracing climate justice and centering the needs of those most impacted by climate change. And because most power in America lies in the hands of people who are more are likely to suffer the least. Um, we will demonstrate ways to reduce and eventually eliminate climate altering emissions. I, I just want to clarify, though, that we, we can't do this alone. We have to do this together in partnership with everybody. Uh, and, I, and I also don't want people to think that this means that climate change won't affect them. It disproportionately affects people who don't have power, um, people who don't have the ability to ameliorate the change of climate change potentially. But climate change affects everybody. It is all of our problem. We all have to be part of the solution. And we wanna do this together with everybody and find a way to, uh, to make certain we have, uh, as Paul said earlier, uh, a climate and a, and a nation and a world that is as, as a world for his grandchild, that is a place where we could all live and prosper, as uh, the US Senator said, jobs, meaningful jobs for everybody. Wonderful, thank you, Allison. Um, I, I think we have uh, time for one more question, um, and I'd really love to direct this to all of the panelists um, and maybe just go um, around around the horn and in, in the order that uh, folks spoke today. Um, perhaps starting with you, Senator Smith. Um, so there are opposition forces, as we've talked about um, throughout the morning today, um, the fossil fuel industry, for example, um, that don't want to see this ambitious clean energy policy passed. Um, so my question is simple um, to all of the panelists. Can we really do this? And if so, how can we make sure that it gets done? 
Um, Senator Smith, maybe we'll start with you. Well, you know, I start out by thinking uh, that I'm always an optimist and I've come to understand that if you don't believe something can get done, it will never get done. So we have to start from a sense of empowerment. You also have to remember that this transition, addressing climate change, appreciating that climate change is real, that is caused by human activity and that it will take bold action uh, to stop it, um, is broadly appreciated and agreed with um, across the American public. Actually, climate change is not that much of a partisan issue anymore outside of the halls of Washington, DC. It is something that most Americans agree with. And in fact, broad numbers of Americans agree with, uh, according to recent polling, with the strategy of a clean electricity standard. It's what they want. So that gives me a lot of hope. It also, I think, gives me a great sense of optimism that we can do a clean electricity standard within the context of a large um, and bold infrastructure package that is also making investments in broadband, in roads and bridges, in um, retrofitting uh, public buildings so that they're more energy efficient. Energy efficiency is a key component of addressing uh, climate change, which we haven't had a chance to talk about yet today, but um, that is also a great source of uh, potential jobs as we are retrofitting buildings. So the, that is the third reason I think that I have some optimism because I think that we can do this in the context of a larger infrastructure package that will be um, creating opportunity um, broadly shared and fairness broadly shared. Thank you, Senator. Uh, Paul? Your thoughts on whether, whether and how we can do this? Well, look, I'm, I'm a big markets guy. I'm encouraged by two trends, Ben. Uh, one is the arc of technology, the fact that solar and wind and energy storage and a host of other clean alternatives are becoming cheaper over time. At some point, it becomes a no-brainer, and we're pretty much at that no-brainer inflection point. The other trend that gives me cause for optimism is that younger people aren't as cynical, as skeptical, as anti-science as in many cases their parents and their grandparents. Their eyes are wide open, they see what's happening. And when people say, why is there so much fuss? Why is there so much pushback? Well, this is a potential extinction level event for fossil fuel companies. They need to reinvent, follow the money. Why has there been so much denial and disinformation and misinformation? Because trillions of dollars of assets are still in the ground and they need to remain in the ground as stranded assets. And of course, uh, people with the power, people with the money wanna hang on to it. So they need to pivot. Uh, or they will, in fact, fade away over time. So I keep coming back to that. But again, there is no political litmus test when it comes to acknowledging reality. People that really look at the data, I'm encouraged more of my colleagues, more meteorologists in Minnesota and worldwide are speaking out. They are connecting the dots. Climate and weather, climate and meteorology are flip sides of the same coin. And at some point, I ask people when I go out and I talk, I say, look, you may not believe the scientists, you may not believe your minister or your rabbi or your imam, do you believe your own eyes? And more and more people are coming up with anecdotal evidence that, yeah, it's happening. Okay, let's get past the gloom and doom. What do we do? So 
I'm encouraged uh, what Senator Smith is doing. I'd love to see uh, friends on the right step up with their own solutions. Let's debate solutions. Let's not debate the science. Thank you, Paul. And speaking of science, um, Allison, I would love to turn to you for your thoughts on uh, whether we can do this and how. Uh, yes, and actually trust in science has risen um, over the pandemic, uh, the time of the pandemic, which is just uh, fantastic. And change is hard, um, but we can change and we can move forward. And you can just look at these data that I talked about with the Science Museum. We did not build a new building. We cannot build new buildings uh, uh, around the nation, uh, but we can retrofit them and make them uh, reduce, uh, help everybody reduce their carbon footprint and reduce their energy costs. And through that process, we can have a big impact on carbon emissions because buildings are a big part of what actually um, uh, uh, substantial portion of US carbon emissions. And there's, as Paul said, there's gonna be more technology coming forward. It's an important topic for uh, the younger generations because they're the ones who are gonna be on this planet and we owe it to them to do it. And there's a way to reach it. And I'm certain that we can together create the change that's needed. Thank you, Allison. And now just uh, to our own Senior Director of Science Policy, Jay, um, I would love a few words from you on uh, whether we can really do this and how. We certainly can do this. There is a brand new orchestrated American organization called America is All In for Climate Action. And I'm really proud to say that the Science Museum of Minnesota is on their leadership team. And the truth is, climate action sounds difficult because it will be. The world has never done anything quite this big. Every country will need to change its way. And every country in the world will need to see the United States bringing forward definitive big actions quickly and in policy and in laws. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Jay. Um, and with that, we'll close. Um, so thank you everyone for joining us today. Um, it was wonderful to see over 250 people here in the virtual room with us. Um, I'd like to again thank Senator Tina Smith, Paul Douglas, Allison Brown, and Jay Drake Hamilton. Thank you for tuning in to the audio recording of our webinar. You can stay up to date on Fresh Energy's work and the many Earth Day related events that we've got coming in April featuring EVs and electric lawn care, as well as a discussion about the obstacles faced by rural communities hoping to survive and thrive in a world without coal. Get the details at fresh-energy.org or follow us on social media. In the meantime, thank you everyone for listening and subscribing to our podcast. You can support Fresh Energy's work by making a donation today. Visit our website at fresh-energy.org and click donate in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.